Have you all found a meaningful existence? Are you just existing? Are you just existing? Or is that existence meaningful? Are you still trying to find meaning in existence? Or are you trying to find the meaning of what I've just said? There are two kinds of people in, in this world. There are people who exist and there are people who have a meaningful existence. Because an existence that does not lead you to understanding the meaning of that existence, why you exist, what is the purpose of existence, what is it that I am supposed to achieve by existing? If these things are not fulfilled, then that is merely an existence. As I walked up here and sat down, I felt there was an ant crawling on the back of my neck. So I picked it up and then I put it on the desk, existing. It's come so close, closer than most of you will ever be. But yet it is so far, because it exists, but it will never realize the meaning of existence. It will never discover why it came to exist, but it will just exist. Nature allows existence. That is what nature does. It helps you to exist. But that alone does not give you a meaningful existence. To uncover a meaningful existence, you have to do something more than that. Now you need to wonder, what is the purpose of having been born human? Your human lives must mean something, ladies and gentlemen. Because humans exist, birds exist, animals exist, beasts exist, bacteria, they exist, viruses exist, all sorts of things exist, don't they? They all exist. There are various forms of existence and some of them are born in what we call the sensual world and they exist. Then there is the form world where they exist. Then there's the formless world where beings exist. So in 31 realms of existence, they exist. But to what avail? They just keep circling around the 31 worlds of existence from one end to the other end. From the Aviti on one end of the spectrum to a world where you are merely aware of your existence but you still are on the other end.
but still it's all existence existence for the sake of it that's it but you know what after a long long time a very long time indeed this duration of time is to be calculated in a measure that by its very name gives us the indication that it is immeasurable that's why they call asankhya kalpa or in other words immeasurable eons you cannot give it a number some things are so large you cannot give it a number because even if you did like one and a trillion zeros now how big is that number <laughs> you know after it jumps like goes after five or six zeros you just lose the size of it right you know the proportions are just completely lost on you you have no idea how big how big that number is so on that scale after such a long period of time and don't take this lightly after such a long period of time there comes along an existence that existence gives you a once in a i don't say a lifetime but a once in a sansara time perhaps a once in a sansara time opportunity to work out the meaning of existence how special do you feel right now i'm reminding you how special you are after an unimaginably long time of having gone through this cycle somewhere in the 31 realms of existence you have come along and have been born as a human being which has afforded you the opportunity to discover what existence actually means why do i exist you know you don't need to discover why you exist to exist right you don't need to discover that all these years have you had you discovered it you just existed some people say now that we are born we have to do something until we are dead <laughs> and therefore they exist why did you go to school when you were younger before you realized that you know without a good education i'm not going to be able to get anywhere in life until then why did you do so that's what young people have to do they have to go to school that's what else are you supposed to do parents tell you you got to go to school and if you they if you don't do what they ask you to do then you don't get what you want from them so therefore you got to do what they ask you to do so you existed doing what they asked you to do until you grow up you know come of age in your teens and then you realize well going to school is not the only thing to do in life there are other things to be to be done to be said to be had so therefore you stretch your yourself you broaden your horizons you discover new things friends understand relationships get into some of them get out of some of them get in and then struggle getting out of some of them all sorts and you do this and try to you just live that's what you're supposed to do then some relationships you form and they become bonds and bonds that cannot be severed not without a lot of heartache not without a lot of trouble and therefore then once you get yourself into one that's like falling into a deep well with no ladder to get out of sometimes it might feel like that and once you're in there now you just have to be there 
Why? Because I exist. What can I do? How can you stop existence? And then one fine day someone comes along and says, there's no point going and hanging yourself because the moment you do, you're born again. Oh, bugger. Now what do you do? And you thought, well, until then I thought I had some hope. If I had enough of this, when I realized that this was not going to get me anywhere, and when I get sick and fed up of this, I could just go and be off with myself. But that's not going to work either. See, then existence becomes a big problem. Sometimes you'd probably wondered, maybe in those times where life was really tough on you, why did I ever come across a teaching that taught me that there is such a thing called rebirth? If I hadn't known that, and when life got really tough, I could have just be, you know what, <laughs> and my problems would have been solved. But now I know the truth, and therefore that's not going to bring me any solace either. Now, when you know that, after this there's going to be another one, and then another one, and then another one, unless you make meaning of existence, you are done for. Don't you realize that? See, now you've been bitten on both ends. Because now you know that there is such a thing called rebirth. After you're dead, you're born again. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so therefore, unless you make sense of this existence, sansara is just a punishment. It's a prison cell. I want you to realize the depth of the words that I'm sharing with you, ladies and gentlemen. Unless you realize the meaning of existence, sansara is just going to be one long prison sentence. Because you will just exist. With your cancer, you will exist. With your ulcers, you will exist. With your incurable headaches, you will simply continue to exist. With an ailing body, breaking, broken limbs, a failing heart, you will just continue to exist. As everyone around you passes away and you try to stop them from doing so, so that you can keep them with you for just one day longer, just a little bit longer, so you can have another day of, day of laughter, you will just exist and they will just pass away. You know today that falling into relationships, getting into some of them, getting into relationships is going to be a big problem for you, but you can't stop it. And even if you could, there's going to be another one after this life. And then when you're born again, you're going to forget all of the things you've learned here. So therefore, you're going to get yourselves into those relationships again. The best punishment that sansara can give you is forgetting your previous birth. So there are lessons learned that are always forgotten. How cruel sansara is. I mean, who would sign up for this if they read the small print? Hmm? You just signed the dotted line and didn't bother to read the terms and conditions. Didn't your mother tell you not to do that? But hey-ho, we've all done that now. So now, it's up to each and every one of us to discover the meaning of our existence so that our existence can become meaningful so that we only exist because we want to, so that we only exist because it gets us where we want to be. That is our purpose.
On another day, I'll tell you the purpose of our lives is happiness. It's exactly what I just explained. Finding the purpose of your existence. But we would never have been able to do this if not for a certain someone who went and discovered it all by himself. I mean, come on. That's just a, a miracle. I was going to say something short of a miracle. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's a miracle. It's just a miracle. The fact that someone can discover this all by himself, or herself for that matter, but usually it's himself. It's always been a himself. These are the miracles. So on this auspicious occasion, as we have come together, to realize why we exist, to realize what it is we have to do now that we exist, to realize the purpose of our existence. Let us spare a moment to reflect on that miraculous one. He certainly was a miracle, a miracle that happened to all of us, a miracle that we'd been waiting for a long time, not just you and I, but mankind all sentient beings. This is a miracle that has been bestowed upon us. It's a boon. It's our treasure. He is our treasure. He is the Magnificent One. As He showed us the, the way, the path to discover the meaning of our existence, let us bring our palms together in veneration of His holy name. What He stood for, what he embodied, what he represented, who he was, the character that he was, the virtues that he was, the wisdom that he was, the profoundness in compassion that he was, a trillion mothers and a trillion fathers, all in one. He is the one in whose name we make this veneration. As we do so, let us also remind ourselves that we renew a pledge to walk the path that he proclaimed on our behalf to achieve the ultimate bliss and realize the purpose of our existence. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhas. So now I'm going to ask you this question. What is the purpose of your existence? Why do you exist? Are you still cursing your parents for having made that decision on your behalf? Because there are some who do that. You know, I heard a man, heard of a man, if I'm not mistaken, it was about 10 or 15 years ago. This guy, he'd sued his parents 
You know what for? Hmm? For giving birth to him. He'd sued his parents. And the lawsuit was something along the lines of, how dare they bring me into this world without my consent? <laughs> I mean, true, right? I mean, they should have asked for his consent before bringing them. Makes a lot of sense. He'd actually sue. I'm not making this stuff up. You know, I don't make stuff up when I'm here. That's not to say I make stuff up when I'm not here. <laughs> I don't make stuff up. Because you don't need to make this stuff up. <laughs> All this craziness and madness and silliness already exists in this wonderful world of ours. So you don't need to make this stuff up. So this man, he'd sued his parents for bringing him into this world. And I understand why now, though. Because, you see, it's like, it's like putting a rat in a trap. Or maybe putting someone in a maze. Hasn't life ever felt that way? Like you're trapped in a maze? Especially if you have to go somewhere and you, you know you want to get somewhere and you want to get there as quickly as you possibly can. So you run and then you hit a dead end. Been there? Dead ends? How do they feel when you hit one? Hmm? When every choice you have to make doesn't seem to get you anywhere. So you have a dilemma, a trilemma, a tetralemma, a pentalemma, and so on. Right? You have a bunch of different options, but no matter which option you take, you're back, back in a problem. And then it seems like the only way back is just to turn around, because you've just hit a dead end. But turning around is not an option either, because that's where the problem was. So you try to run away from that problem. You're looking for a solution. You come across these situations all day, especially with family. You can't be with them, and you can't be what? Without them, yes. Can't be with them, can't be without them. It's one of those dilemmas that God has gifted us. He chose them for us, didn't he? And who do I mean by God now? Oh, yes, give or deny. What you've given, what you've denied, now there are those who come in the, in, in the guise of mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and grandparents and uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces. That is why we transfer merits to them <laughs> in the hope that they will continue to give rather than deny. <laughs> so these are God's, God's uh, angels. He chose them on our behalf. But especially where family is concerned. I mean, friends, you can, you know, it's like clothes. If you don't like it, you can change it. But family, not so easy. So oftentimes you'll find yourself dealing with family and you are stuck. It seems like every option that seems to be available to you is going to be one where you're going to have to suffer. So then you decide to cut your losses and just take the lesser of the two or three or four or five or however many evils when you have no other option. But that's one. There are plenty of other instances like at the workplace or you know when you're out and about. 
situations which just present themselves to you and you wonder, this is what you wonder, why? Yes? Why? Why me? Why me? So what you're really saying is when there are so many people to whom this could be happening, why me? When God had so many different options, huh? God could have given this to person next door. Why, you know, why, why did he not do that to him? Why, why me? Of all people. I'm the holiest person I know. Aren't you the holiest person? <laughs> Persons that you know? Isn't there a, is there a saint who is more saint than you? More virtuous than you? There isn't, is there? You know, yes. You're the saintest of them all. So that's when you ask this question, why me? Really what you're asking is, why, why do I exist? Why do I find myself in these situations? Why can't life just be a rosy bed and I can just tread on it and just do whatever I want? But why do all these problems, these situations come to me? Why is God so unkind? Why are circumstances so unkind to me? In these moments you begin to question the purpose of existence. And that's when, you know, when you are pushed to the end of your tether, people go and put a noose around their necks. Because they question the purpose of existence. Why should existence be so cruel, they ask. I don't know, maybe you've had people who've committed suicide. You know people, perhaps, maybe friends, maybe someone closer than a friend. It's becoming a sort of like a trend these days. It's trending, like YouTube videos, they trend from time to time. Suicide also trends from time to time. In some countries, it is, the, it is, I think, in the top ten causes of mortality. Can you believe that? Not falling off a tree or, you know, getting run over by a car right, or stung by a bee or, you know, drinking poison by mistake, by mistake. It's actually done on purpose. In some countries, you know, it's in the top ten causes of mortality. People die because they take their own lives. Only recently I heard another story, recently, someone who'd taken their own life. And do you know why? No, how would you? I haven't told you the story yet. Reason was because they'd gone into a relationship. And what do you think happened? Relationship? Broke. A relationship breakup. That's enough, apparently. These days, that's the threshold now. Uh, those days it used to be, my, my child died. Hmm? Those days it used to be, my, whole, my, my house got burnt down. And everything I had to my name was decimated. Everything destroyed. Those days it used to be that. But nowadays, the trend is such that, one breakup is enough. So, you know, don't be responsible for someone offing with their lives, okay? How can you be responsible? That, that's what society will tell you. If you're in a relationship with someone, and because you decide one fine day that, you know, this relationship is not working, yeah, because either it's, a, it's an abusive relationship, perhaps, there are plenty of them, aren't there? Abusive relationships. 
where they just take you for granted and you're just there to please them and get whatever they want. And then you realize one day this relationship isn't working for me. I'm not get, getting anything I want out of this. And then you call it quits. And then what happens is people, you know, be ready for this, be prepared for this. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this information with you. It's, I'm, you know, I'm not kidding. Nowadays, a relationship breakup is enough for someone to offer themselves. When you get home today, those of you who still go online, type into Google, ask Google how many people commit suicide because of relationship breakdowns every year. And you'll be surprised. Relationship breakdowns. And those relationships, you know, they don't necessarily have to last, like, they don't have to be five-year-long relationships. Sometimes, you know, a guy and a girl, they'd been going out for three weeks. I need you to, you might wonder why am I sharing these things with you. You know, so I mean, as we don't get in relationships nowadays, you know, we have a, found a better, bigger purpose in life, so why are you sharing this with us? I, I just want to emphasize to you and illustrate the nature of a mind that is starved of the Dhamma. Every existence seeks meaning. By, very, by its very nature, if one exists, they wish to find the purpose of existence. That is why back in the day, you know, people used to take refuge in, in the sun god. Right? So every morning they'd look up at the sky and there was the sun. And they thought, well, at least, you know, perhaps if I can get closer to the sun god, maybe I can find meaning in life. Then there was the moon god. Then there were mountains. You know, they were big. When people couldn't understand things, they sought refuge in them. It's typical. You know, if you don't understand something, you feel that it's some, some divine being or some divine existence, and you try to find meaning of existence in taking refuge in them. Today you seek refuge in the Noble Triple Gem. Not because you don't understand it, but because you understand that that is all there is taking refuge, or worth taking refuge in. But those days, it was not so. Not so. Then there was the thunder gods. And people took refuge in the thunder gods. Then there was the earth god. People took refuge in the earth god. In this way, people used to take refuge in all sorts of things that they struggled to understand. Because they struggled to understand who they were themselves. You know, not just today, even back then, when people got angry, when people had thoughts of, de you know, desirous thoughts, they wondered, why, why do I feel this way? Not just today, even back then. For as long as man existed, he's always had this problem. There were times, you know, you know what I'm talking about, because you know there are times in your life where you fall victim to Ragadesha Moha, and you don't know, well now maybe you do, but back then you didn't know that this was Ragadesha and Moha, and then you wondered, why did I act in that way, in that way? Why did I behave in that manner? You know, that was very, not like me, you'd have said. It's not like me to be like that, but why did I? 
And then you try to find the answers to these problems. You know that that was not a moment, that was not one of your finest moments. It was in fact one of your weakest moments. And then you became embarrassed. And then you try to find answers to how do I be a better person? How do I, how do I be more than this? Then you went looking for a priest, maybe, asking them for answers to your life's problems. Haven't there been times where you walked up to a temple, church, mosque, whatever, found a priest and asked him, Sir, I often get angry. What do I do about that? Because basically what's going on is, you are someone that you don't want to be. How do I get myself out of this? You have no control over your emotions, over your feelings. How do I get myself over this? Either you would have done that, or maybe someone you know would have taken you. Hmm? Someone you know would have taken you and sought help for you. On your behalf, they would have asked the same questions. This is my son. He's always, you know, always angry about something. He's always fired up about something. Can you help him, please? And they would have tried to find answers. Even back then, many, many, many thousands of years ago, millions of years ago, from the moment that man, mankind began to exist, they had these problems, ladies and gentlemen. How do I make meaning of my existence? In other words, how do I understand who I am? How do I get, in, get more in control of my thoughts and my feelings and my emotions? And who's the toughest beast to tame? What do you think? Hmm? Yeah. The one that's always with you, right? It's far easy to tame another. You just have to give them some advice. You just have to tell them what to do and what not to do. And when they don't listen to you, it's their fault, isn't it? But when you don't listen to what someone else says, whose fault is it then? It's still their fault. Because why do they tell you things that you can't do? Yeah? But when you tell something to someone and they don't do it, why aren't they doing it? When you don't do something that someone tells you to do, why are they telling me things I can't do? <laughs> it's always their fault. I need you to understand why you have finally decided to take refuge in the Noble Triple Gem. Why? I mean, is it just because you're Buddhists? You were born Buddhists? This is all your parents have done with you. They've only taken you to a temple. They've never taken you to a church. So therefore, this is the only option that was available. Is that why today you have sought refuge in the Noble Triple Gem? Because it was customary? Because it was the tradition? Because it was what religion all my family subscribed to? Is that why you have sought refuge in the Noble Triple Gem? Or is it because you're, you have problems? have slash had problems and you needed answers you needed to find a way out and as you went looking for some you found some answers today man tries to get onto the moon he tries to fly across the solar system get to the other side of the uh, to the other side of the moon to the other side of Jupiter if he could to try and find answers to life's problems he tries to dig deep and go as deep as he can, trying to find answers to problems. He tries to find the bottom of a bottomless pit in the search for answers. He, he soars the infinite skies and tries to reach the other end of the galaxy in search for answers.
Can you see how vexed people are? How desperate people are? Have you ever heard of a more severe destitution than man's quest to find happiness? Man's quest to find the meaning of existence. Every documentary you watch, whether that is about wildlife or astronomy, whatever, every documentary you watch, somewhere in there, right, if it's of considerable length, somewhere in there they'll have some reference to man trying to find the meaning of existence. It's, even if they don't say it in those words, it's there in some other words, dressed up in some other words. Man trying to find the meaning of existence, the purpose of existence. Otherwise, why do they make that documentary? Man is trying to find the meaning of his existence. He tries to understand why the antelope behave in that way. Why do antelope exist? What is the meaning of their existence? He looks at the monkey on the trees and he wonders, why, does, why do monkeys jump from tree to tree? Why do they do that? Why do they behave in that manner? What is the meaning of that existence? Is that a better, a higher existence than this? Or is this a higher existence than that? Comparing, trying to understand the purpose and the meaning of existence. Don't take what I'm telling you lightly. This is quite a profound truth. Then they'll go swimming in the vast oceans. They'll take submarines and submerge themselves as deep as deep can be and try to find creatures that live in the trenches, trying to find how are they different to us. In other words, what is the meaning of that existence? And how does that compare to this existence? These are the questions that man is trying to find answers to. Because, you know, whether you discover the meaning of existence or not, you have to exist. And it's so tiring. <laughs> it's exhausting. Existence is exhausting until and unless you find the meaning of that existence. You think that having, having a lot, having wealth, having money, having access to resources, you think these things are going to give you and help you achieve a meaningful existence? No, ladies and gentlemen. That is why people around the world, they're constantly striving, constantly, relentlessly. Day in, day out, they're always struggling. It's a struggle. It's a real struggle. You know, you might think sometimes, why we're struggling, why people are struggling to find, to... to, to you know, to carry on, to keep on pushing themselves beyond the boundaries that, that are possible, trying to find something, some truth. Why is it that every day people go looking for, you know, why do they keep digging for oil? Why do they keep looking for, for more business opportunities? Why are they looking for new investments? Why are they looking for Distances they've never been before. Why are they trying to go as up as they as high as they can, as low as they can, as far and wide as they can? Why? They're looking for the meaning of existence. Why do they go into the mosques? Why are they going to the churches? Why are they going to the temples? People go to the temple looking for the meaning of existence. That's why you've come here. And until you discover it, you will keep on looking for it. Have pity. Have pity initially on first on yourself, and then on others as well. 
How many Facebook friends do you have? Why? Because you're looking for the meaning of existence. Looking for the meaning of existence. You're hopeful that the next person you come across, the next friend you come across, will help you discover that. I'm trying to show you, ladies and gentlemen, that people are trying to fill their empty lives up with something of substance. They always feel a void within themselves. They're never filled. It's always incomplete. That's why when they meet someone special, they say, now I found the person who's made me complete. How many times do they say that? I mean, how many times can you complete something? In almost every relationship you've been in, when you get into that relationship, you feel that this relationship completes me for a while. And then you realize, no, it wasn't this one. It's not this one. Maybe the next one. Then you wait for the next one, and the next one comes along. And then you feel, this is the relationship I've been waiting for. In fact, you tell this new person, you know, the last guy, I, I fell for him. <laughs> I fell for him. I fell for her. I thought she was the one who was going to make me happy. Little did I realize, it was never her. It was you. The same story you told the last one. <laughs> Man is helpless, ladies and gentlemen. People only do this because they're helpless. Now I understand why the Buddha determined that he had to do something. You know, there was one instance where he wondered, is there ever going to be a, a point in me going around roaming the earth and preaching the Dhamma? How, are any, how is anyone going to understand the profoundness of what I have discovered? You know, because what he was thinking was, it took me four incalculable eons to understand this truth. How can someone listen to a sermon and understand this? How is it even possible? But then his compassion took over. He had to try. And thankfully he did. And because he tried today, to this day, we still have the Dhamma and we still have the path to, to Buddhahood. Fortunately, he didn't try to make us all supreme Buddhas. <laughs> that would have not been possible. But I'm, I'm trying to explain to you what the Buddha would have seen in us. Why he felt that there was a need to, to, to teach the Dhamma. That is what I'm trying to explain to you. Why the Buddha felt that there was a need to preach the Dhamma? Why did he feel that the Dhamma had to be expounded to mere mortals like you and I? Why did he feel that sentient beings needed an answer? Because back then he saw us. He saw the void in our minds and in our hearts and he realized that this is a void that will not be filled with anything other than the Dhamma that I'm about to preach to them. They, he realized that we had no other refuge. It's not when you take refuge in the Noble Triple Gem that the Noble Triple Gem becomes your only refuge. Whether you like it or not, the Noble Triple Gem is the only refuge. The Dhamma is the only refuge. What religion you are, where you come from, which walk of life you come from, what creed you are, what race you are, what gender you are, what religion you are, how much you have or how much you don't have, whether you're educated or uneducated, it doesn't matter. 
big or small, light or heavy, it matters not. Whether you're a beast that roams the earth or a great bird that soars the skies, it matters not. The heart, the mind, will always remain unfulfilled. You know, in the same way that you, when you want to eat something, when you feel like you want to eat something, you have to eat it, in the same way the dog behaves. When the dog wants something, it wants it. When a dog wants something, it wants it. It's just that they don't have any rules, regulations, customs, norms in that, in that world. So everything is fair play. But in human life, we have rules, regulations. We have what, this is what we call civilization. The only difference between us and animals is they're not civilized. In other words, if you want it, go and get it. But among humans, we have something called a civilization. If you want it, there's a way to go and get it. You can't just go and get it. That's the difference. But some, they don't care about that. They just go and get it. That's why we call them uncivilized people. And usually they end up behind iron bars because they are not allowed. They do not have what it takes to be among the civilized. Not by my account. That's what people say. That's what the, that's what the book will say. So then they take them behind prison bars, behind iron bars, and they try to civilize them by giving them the dhamma. Yes? By giving them the dhamma? Not by giving them the dhamma. By giving them punishment. <clears throat> Not even by giving them love and affection. Just by giving them punishment. But punishment was not what they were lacking. <laughs> Just think about this. If a man's hungry, what do you do? Beat him? That does the job, doesn't it? Beat him. Beat the hell out of him. If a man's hungry, beat him. Hmm? That works, doesn't it? And then at the end of that beating, give him a good thrashing. At the end of that, he doesn't feel hungry anymore. You agree with my statement? No. Okay. A man feels that he wants something. Even if he has to get it at someone else's expense, what do you do? Beat him. <laughs> that seems like the, most, the simplest answer, isn't it? Beat him. And what happens at the end of that beating? He no longer wants it. Really? People need to realize that the reason that people go after things is because there's a void that needs filling. It's like a vacuum that needs to be filled. If you empty your lungs for only a few seconds, what do you want to do next? Hmm? If you exhale and hold your, hold your nose and your mouth at the same time, how long can you be like that without, until you get beaten? Until you get beaten? Hmm? Is that what you want? No, you just want to fill your lungs with air. That's what you need. Beating is not the answer. My point is this. It's not whether the prison systems work or whether punishments work. That's not what I'm saying. My, I'm trying to get you to focus on this one truth. All minds, if they are vexing, it's because there's a void that is not filled. There's no point whatsoever 
trying to fill that void with anything other than the truth, meaning. That is the only meaningful thing to do. I'm trying to help you figure, ladies and gentlemen, the, what you're doing here, I, I don't mean just at the monastery, but when you're at the monastery, that is all you're doing. But even when you're not at the monastery, the only thing that is worth doing is to fill your mind up with the Dhamma. Nothing else matters. And I'm not saying this to you because I'm a monk and that's all I'm doing in my life now. I have no other option because I'm a monk and for you to give me some arms I have to be practicing the path. No, that's not why I'm sharing this truth with you. This is the only purposeful, meaningful thing to do. Because there are only two states of, of mind you're in. You're either happy or you're sad. Yeah, you're, you're either fulfilled or you're disappointed. Either good or bad. You know, these are the two states of mind that you're in. And whenever you're in a sad situation, whenever you're in a bad situation, when you're in, whenever you're in a disappointed situation, distressed, anger, frustration, disappointment, all of these things put in one bundle, right? Whenever that goes on, the reason for that is because there's, the Dhamma is lacking somewhere. That is the only reason. Mentally, if you're suffering for anything, the only reason is some part of the Dhamma you still haven't understood. There is some part of the Dhamma, maybe one point about the Dhamma you've not understood yet. That is the only reason. Don't look for answers anywhere else. If you want to achieve a meaningful existence, don't look for answers anywhere else. The answer might not be obvious to you. Straight off the bat, it may not be obvious to you, but don't look for answers anywhere else. Because here's what happens. If you go looking for answers anywhere else, you'll find something that looks like the answer. There's only one thing that is worse than a lie. That is a lie that looks like the truth. That is worse than a lie. Because a lie, if you know it's a lie, you're not going to buy it. But if a lie disguises itself as the truth, now that's worse than a lie. Because you will buy it and you will buy it with conviction. You will buy believing in it. You're going to sell yourself to it. You sell yourself to it. That's what happens. So when you have the truth, a lie, and a lie that looks like the truth, in which order do you put them? in terms of good to worse. You have the truth, you have a lie, and you have a lie that looks like the truth. That's the worst kind. Pleasure is that. It's the worst kind of lie. It looks like the truth. So therefore people fall for it. I need you to change that about yourselves. Aspire to a, to a greater mentality. Aspire to a higher truth, ladies and gentlemen. You know, step out of that routine of whenever you're vexing about something, going after the object of pleasure which you always thought was able to fulfill you. It doesn't. If it did by now, it would have done. It doesn't. Whenever you are in those moments, you know, contemplate on the Dhamma. You've now understood the theory of the Dhamma. You've understood the, 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 the principle of the Dhamma. You understand the laws that govern happiness, sorrow, vexation, pleasure, all of these things in your mind. <clears throat> apply don't look for answers anywhere else 
Don't promise me. I'm asking you to promise yourself. I know I need your promise. I don't need your promise. But someone does. Who's that? You need your promise. Be truthful to yourselves. If you really want to be serious about this practice, if you really want to come with us on this journey, and if you really want this to be the last time, the last time you have to suffer, you, there's something you have to do. Buddha is the destination, Dhamma is the path, and Sangha is your practice. Without the Noble Triple Gem, you're not going to get anywhere. If you don't practice, I'm not suggesting that you don't, but I'm, I'm only encouraging you, okay? This is not by any means saying that you don't. Why is Swami Nasi talking to us like that? It's like we don't practice, we practice. We practice every day. All we do is practice. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that you don't. I'm, I'm encouraging you. What I'm telling you is, you haven't done, you're not doing enough. That can you accept? You're not doing enough? Anyone here feels that they're doing enough? Please. You're not doing enough. You know you're not doing enough. Let's be honest. At the end of every day, if you, con if you reflect on the day gone by, aren't there moments where you feel, I should have, but I didn't. I could have, but I didn't. I needed to have, but I didn't. I really, really, really could have. I want fewer of those moments to happen in your life. So that at least, you know, at least even if you don't spot them, you know, how about this for a, for a challenge, right? See, if in this whole year, now we are one month done, right? We've got 11 months to go, plenty of time to try out this challenge. <clears throat> ice bucket challenge. No, not the ice bucket challenge. A different kind one. I want this to be your challenge. How about in this whole year, Right? You've got 365 days minus 30 gone. You have about 330 days to go. In the 330 days to come, how about you live one day, one full day, where at the end of that day, you genuinely reflect on the day gone by, and there's not a single moment where you can think to yourself, I should have, but I didn't. I could have, but I didn't. I know I ought to have, but I did not a single moment of regret. Just one day. Don't impress me. Impress whom? Impress yourself. I tell you, that day will be exhilarating. Try it. Just live one full day. That day will seem magical. And if you do one day, that one day will be the fuel you need for the next day. I'm not suggesting you spend the rest of the year like that. I'm saying just find one day. <clears throat> you know, find a good day. You, you'll all have good days, bad days, right? Find a good day and, and, and plan for that day if you must. But live that day whereby at the end of the day you look back 
And there's not a single moment that you had where you thought, where you think to yourself now, there was that moment when I should have said no, but I said yes. I should have walked away, but I confronted. <clears throat> I should have just taken a step back, but I held my guard. Today, if you ask, if I ask you about yesterday, there'll there'll be there'll be you know plenty of instances. Just leave one day, give that for yourself as a challenge. These are the victories of life. This on that day you will have done everything in your power. I, I know, you know, there might be instances where in that day, even that day that you contemplate, you reflect on, where there were moments where you failed, but. To you, genuinely, as you think about it, you know, you feel like that day was, was well spent. Anything that was missed was done inadvertently. You didn't, it, was, it, was, it was not deliberate. If you were mindful, if you were conscious, those decisions were well made. It was only by mistake. Like, or, you, know, you don't even know that maybe there were moments where you, you fell into Ayoniso Manasikara. But those moments, you know, you don't... You don't reflect on them. You don't. It doesn't come into your grasp. Right? That's fine. But consciously, if you live that day, there were no slip-ups. There were no setbacks. That one day was a day well lived. <clears throat> the Buddha says this. It is better to have lived one day, contemplating on the truth, the high truth, than to live a hundred years, not doing so. An average life these days is about 70, 80 years. In those days might have been about a hundred. A hundred years lived without contemplating the Dhamma means nothing because you are no closer to realizing the purpose of your existence. But you live one day reflecting on the Dhamma, reflecting on the truth. You move closer to realizing the purpose of your existence. Because after all, that's what you were born for, to realize the purpose of your existence. Most die not having realized that. So therefore, unfinished business, they come back again to discover the purpose of existence. The day you realize the purpose of existence, you know, this game ends. You're, you're all playing a game, aren't you? It's like a video game, right? Level after level after level after level. So you start, you know, very young, that's level one. Then you just, you know, find your way, you find your feet, understand what's going on, you find who your enemies are, you find who your friends are, and then you, you, know, you get power-ups, you get some nitro, you get some weapons, Right? You pick up all these things as, and you collect some coins, train run. <laughs> you pick up these things and then you carry on. Then you go to level two and level three and level four. Which level are you at now? Let's take your age as a reflection of the level that you're at right now. Hmm? Well done. Let me see you all give yourselves a pat on the back. <laughs> That's the level you're on now. But you know this for true, for sure. 
right? At some point, it's going to come up on screen, game over. Everyone does that. Game over is not what we are after. <clears throat> we are after victory. The, this, is the, this is the purpose of this game. Like every game has an objective. Yeah? So if it's Tetris, you know there's an objective. You're supposed to line those blocks up so that you start filling and you get you know, the same colored lines and so on. If it's Angry Birds, you know the, the objective of that game is to shoot those birds with pigs. Well, the pigs, yeah? Yes, with pigs, right? So you, every game has an objective. This, is, this game has an objective. The objective of your game is to find the purpose of existence. That, that, is, the, that is the objective. Life is a game. And its purpose, its objective, sorry, is to find the purpose, the very purpose of playing that game. <clears throat> There's no game like this. As soon as you discover why you're playing this game, you won. Until such time, you just get challenge after challenge and the challenges get tougher. The hurdles keep growing. Enemies become monstrous as you keep going. You know, when you were younger, you just had your playmates in your playpen, right? Those were, you know, what did they do? What was the worst thing that <laughs> your, your playpen friend did to you? Took your toy. Took your toy. They didn't take your house, did they? Hmm? They didn't take your wife, did they? No. But as the, as the levels keep, keep, keep getting more and more challenging, right, your stake, <laughs> yeah, you get more enemies. <clears throat> and even the friends you can't trust. Even the friends you can't trust. Because each one that's playing the game is also in it for something else. They're trying to find the meaning of their existence. You're trying to find the meaning of your existence. So the levels keep progressing one after the other after the other. And now you're maybe at level, what, 50? 45? 48? 9? 55? 60? 70? 80? 100? Not yet. But there's going to be a point where Either you discover why you're playing this game or the game's going to beat you. Either you beat the game or the game beats you. <coughs> you're playing the game of life. Can you actually, can you actually visualize what I'm, what I'm asking you to do? You know, have you all at least seen someone play video games? <laughs> if you haven't played yourselves? Hmm? Have you at least seen maybe you know, your, your children? play computer games, video games, and you've seen what things are like in a game, right? Levels progressing, enemies coming, then there are friends, and you have fortresses, right? You have bunkers, you go and hide in, you have weapons with which you have to fight, then there are power-ups and coins and potions and scrolls and all sorts. This game is the same. You are the minions and God's playing you. Those who discover the purpose of the game, they beat God. So 
So who's your opponent? God is your opponent. You have to accept this. Right now, okay, tell me. Right now, who decides what happens to you? Now you understand, you tell me cause and effect, right? Put that to aside for a second. Right? Put that to aside for a second. Okay, let's forget that we are Buddhists for a second. We don't know the Dhamma, we don't know the Buddha, we don't know the Sangha. Right? Now we are all, either we are, let's assume we are not atheists, right? So we believe in some divine being, someone who's responsible for, our, for what we get or what we are denied, right? Now who's responsible for what goes on with you? God. Don't you like to beat God? How about beating God at his own game? I don't think this is one sermon that should get online <laughs> at this rate. <clears throat> you can beat God. But to beat God, you have to understand how he plays. That's all we're trying to do. Anicca, the Buddha teaches us Anicca, so we understand the rules of the game. So we understand how God plays this game. You know, now you understand about karma and vipaka. Yeah? So therefore, are you now not at peace with what you get and what you don't get? You're at peace now. Right? To some extent, you're at peace now. But before you, were un you had this understanding of, uh, of karma and vipaka, weren't you the very people who today are happy with whatever you get? You know, you, you're happy with your share. Weren't you the same people who looked up at the skies, who looked up at the heavens, right? who looked up at whoever was out there and said, why me? Why don't I get what I want? Why do you take away what I want? Hmm? And you were frustrated, you were annoyed. These things happened to you because God always defeated you. I'm trying to teach you how to eat the apple. This is the apple. Teach, eat this apple and you will discover you will have the same knowledge as God. You will, you will become one with Him. You will become His equal. You will discover the truth. You will discover how He plays you. I feel this is what God wants. Even if you consider God to be a divine entity, I feel this is what He wants. I feel He wants His children, now I'm speaking <laughs> like a pastor in a church, <laughs> I feel God wants His children to come to Him, to be with Him, to unite with Him, to join Him in the heavens. Right? But to do that, you have to qualify. So how do you qualify? Because to get to heaven, you have to think like God. Because it is only who understand the truth, the workings of God, that can join Him in heaven. Because at the gates of heaven, they will ask you a few questions. Do you know how this works? 
Do you know the purpose of existence? Do you understand the rules of the game? And if you say no to these questions, then you are denied entry. But if when asked, give or deny, how does it work? And then you explain dependent origination. Then they say, okay, let him in. And you can walk through those gates. I'm teaching you how to beat God at his own game. You can become him. You can become God. You just need to understand the truth. All sentient beings are, try to be, are trying to become one with God. All sentient beings are trying to get closer to God because they know that God is where happiness is. You know, it's not a place where you, get, you find happiness. It's an understanding. It's a realization. Realization is bliss. It is that. Simple. Simple as that. Your understanding is your answer. You, know, you don't need to understand and then do something. You just need to understand. You just need to comprehend. Understand the truth and you are free. You know, these shackles that keep you enslaved. You just need to understand how these shackles have, keep, have kept you wound up and bound to whatever and whoever you are. The moment you do that, those locks are unlocked. It's a funny game, this. You just need to understand. So this is why we, the Buddha delivered his teaching to us. That is why he explained what anicca was. See, until you, have, until you understand anicca, you don't understand why you do the things you do. Because then you say, well, I, I can't control myself, so there must be someone else who's controlling me. Yeah, if you don't understand what, how, how, you are, how you behave, your, your behaviors, your manners, if you don't understand that, then you feel that someone else must be doing this. You know, if, say for instance, this chair, it just starts moving by itself. What would you think? It just starts moving by itself. Yeah, half of you are probably going to run away, dead scared. It's a ghost or some, some spirit, right? It has become possessed. Because what you're saying, if the chair doesn't move by itself, then someone else must be moving it. Agreed? Quite simple as that, right? If the chair isn't moving, because you know the chair can't move by itself, it's an inanimate object, so therefore someone must be moving it. It must be possessed. It's under someone else's control. Or even if you take a personal example, say you're just sat down like this, and all of a sudden your arm starts moving. You can't control it. Won't you get worried? You, you don't want to, but it just happens. And then you'll feel like something's going, you know, you get really worried. You think some kind of evil spirit has taken over you. So, you know, has, it, has that same thing not happened to you, really? That's why when you're angry, you don't want to be angry, but you're still angry. So someone else is in control then, isn't it? When, you, when you're vexed about something, you don't want to be vexed. You know, exams coming up. Who here likes to be stressed about exams? I, I really love to be, I, li I love stress. Stress is, is all I need. I just want some stress. Where can I get some stress from? <laughs> Does anyone live like that? Why do you hate exams? Those of you who do. Because of the stress. It's not because of the exam. I mean, what's there to hate about? If you were given the answer sheet, would you hate exams? 
Huh? Would you? No. A week before exams, they give you all the answers. Now, now, wouldn't you love to go and take exams? If you are given the answers to a question and then ask the question, so what? You, know, you already have the answers. The reason you don't like exams is because you get stressed and you cannot control it. You know the stressful feeling, right? When you have an exam, something coming up. These are stressful situations and you don't know how to control it. You can't stop it from happening. That's when you feel someone else is in control. But you can't wish the exam away because you have to, do, you have to take the test. That can't go away. The stress can't go away. And now you're stuck. See, now God's beating you. Now all you have to do is understand God. Understand the principle. Understand the theory. Understand the doctrine. Anicca, dukkha and anatta. Once you understand that, now the exam doesn't go away, but the stress goes away. Now you are in control. It's quite simple. The other day I was talking to you about you walk into your fridge and there's a jelly in your fridge. You know, you've, if you've been there, you know the experience where you, you know you shouldn't be eating it. The doctor said you shouldn't be eating it. You know you shouldn't be eating it. You know if you eat this, now you have to go and spend another half a day at the gym, you know, burning away all the calories. You know all the pain that you have to endure because of this. But in that moment, at that moment, your vexation is just far too much. You can't walk away. Those who have this experience, blink your eyes. There you go. I say that because you're all going to blink at some point, right? So it's like a question that doesn't need asking. You know this. You've, we've all been victims of this. Myself included. We've all been victims of this. Until you understand the Dhamma, you're helpless. I want you to understand what the Dhamma has given you, ladies and gentlemen. Understand what the Dhamma has afforded you. Understand where you are today thanks to the Dhamma. You know, today we are not like cats and dogs running around doing whatever comes to our minds. Because today we are able to contemplate on things. We are able to reflect and we are able to get back in control. You are always in the driving seat whenever the Dhamma is with you. When you don't have the Dhamma, you are in the passenger seat. Now who's driving? Don't know who's driving, but someone's driving. You're in the passenger seat. For you to be in the driver's seat, you have to be contemplating on the Dhamma. I cannot emphasize this enough. Because here's what I've understood by now. The Dhamma is the only answer. The Dhamma is the only refuge. In fact, for some of you, I don't think I need to give you any more Dhamma. You have enough Dhamma right now. What, I, what you need to do is now to apply the Dhamma. There is no class for that. There's, there isn't a class for that. What shall we do? Meditation class? If you need a meditation class, then you're not meditating. Meditation is not something you do in a class. Meditation is contemplation. Contemplation is reflection. Reflection is application. When? In the class? What about outside the class? <laughs> so that, you know, I, 
Honestly, there is no more Dhamma for me to give you. Now, you know, we can, we can expound the Dhamma, we can analyze it in, in many other shapes and ways, we can deconstruct it and reconstruct it and show other ways in which the Dhamma has been, has been you know, proclaimed by the Buddha, other ways in which he has delivered the Dhamma. can keep doing that forever and ever and ever, but what matters is the extent to which you apply it. So, I'm asking you this question and I want you to come up with your answer, an answer that you will be impressed with. When you're out and about, when you, when you find these moments where you're vexing, where you have these moments where you are stressed, right? See, something is going on and you don't like it, someone's saying something and you don't like what they're saying, someone's asking you to do something, you have to do it and you now you're only going to do it because you have to do it but you don't like to do it and you feel that stress inside, you feel that vexation inside. People are saying things, accus making accusations, sometimes allegations and even saying you know, things to you that you really didn't want to hear from them. A friend betrays you. In these moments, what is your refuge? Honestly, what is your refuge? Honestly. Not because you're here looking at me. And there's, uh, there's a right answer and a wrong answer. No, that's not what I'm asking you. Honestly, what is your answer? Is it the dumb? Otherwise, you will not find the purpose of your existence. Your life will not be meaningful. So to be so bold and, and, and so blunt about it, otherwise your life will not be meaningful. I promise you that. I guarantee your life will not be meaningful unless when these problems come into your life, you apply the Dhamma. The Dhamma is the only refuge. It is the only answer. The only answer. Whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, whether it's easy or not, whether it's difficult or not, the Dhamma is the only answer. You know, today when you want to watch TV, perhaps you'll go and sit down in front of your TV and start watching it. Okay, but for how long are you going to keep doing this? When are you actually going to find the... When are you actually going to do the right thing? When are you going to do the right thing? When are you going to make the right choices? Because it is your choices that will determine the, your destination. When are you going to make the right choices? Today when you are you know, driving back home, you pass a pizza shop, you, you have to stop and you have to buy the pizza. For how long are you going to keep doing this? Why are you fooling yourself? You're not hungry, you've, just, you've eaten. It's not for hunger. You know you just want to satisfy your taste buds. In other words, you're trying to satisfy your mind. For how long are you going to keep doing this? Who are you fooling around? Why are you failing so badly? It's okay that you're doing it. I mean, it's okay for me. Certainly it's okay for me. I don't mind. Give me a slice while you're at it. It's okay for me. But it's not okay for you. Because you're failing. How long do you want to keep failing this exam? How many years do you want to be in, th in third grade? Tell me. How many years do you want to be in third grade? Hmm? Two years? Three? How long is long enough in third grade? What's the answer? 
only as long as it takes to get you to fourth grade, right? When everyone else is only be there for one year, others getting themselves double promotions, right? Second graders getting double promotions to fourth grade. They, they skip third grade altogether. There are people who do that as well. How about if you take third grade this year, and next year also third grade, the following year is also third grade, the year after that in third grade? I mean, why do you eat? What's the point? <laughs> Folks, I really want you to make meaning, give meaning to this existence of yours. You are very special. And I, I, I'm not just saying this to, because it makes you happy. If it does make you happy, then that's your fault again. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to explain this to you because I need you to understand the gravity of this. You are very special because you can make the right choices. Why do you keep making the wrong choices when you can make the right choice? Why? Why do you do this to yourself? Now don't ask me, Swaminas, how do you know we're making the wrong choices? You, do you, are you watching me all the time? Are you looking at the cameras? No, I know how a mind works. I know how the mind works. You still have wantings. And when those wantings surface, you still feed it. Why? How long are you going to keep doing this? When that monster wakes up from its den, starts flapping its wings, and says, ah, Gimme, gimme, gimme. What do you do? You feed the monster. For how long are you going to keep doing this? This is, it's not going to end the way you do it. That's why I say, you know, live one day. You have the whole year for yourself. Live one day where you can, hand on heart, at the end of that day, turn around and go, this day I lived righteously. This day, I lived truthfully. Not a single slip up. Every time challenges were presented to me, every time vexation surfaced within me, every time I wanted to do something, I only made the right choice. You can, a day you can genuinely say this is a day well lived. The Buddha would be proud of you. He'd be impressed. It's very easy to impress me, but it's not easy to impress him. Impressing him is only as difficult as impressing yourself because you know yourself inside out. So for how long are you going to keep doing this? When you feel like you want to smell something and something smells nice, do you still do it? Don't, don't answer these questions, okay? These are just, just questions. I don't want your answers. You need your answers. I don't need your answers. When you're at home, a new bar of soap, there's no need to take it in your hand and smell it. There is no need for that. Because you need what? You're doing a quality check. Are you the quality approver at home? There's no need to do that. But you still do it. I'm saying, for how long? For how long are you going to keep doing this? 
When are you going to realize that this is meaningless? When are you going to take that? When are you going to stop taking that extra spoonful? That extra serving, that extra helping. When? When is that going to stop? You need to be on, you know, on the top of your game. You've really got to step up. Because time's running out. We don't know who's going to go first, but if we are all bound to have a natural death, then I think if I asked you all to stand up and form an orderly queue, you know whereabouts you're going to be standing. Right? If we assume that it's a natural death coming for all of us, meaning when we hit 80, we are gone. Let's assume that. Then you know where you're standing. Just, just consider us in this room right now. You know whereabouts you're standing right now. Right? Are you in the top five? Are you first in queue? Are you in the last five? This is only, this is ignoring every other cause of death and just old age. This is ignoring the heartaches. This is ignoring your boyfriend coming and telling you, I break up with you. This is ignoring your girlfriend giving you the dump. This is ignoring your house going up in flames. This is ignoring your mother getting a heart attack in front of you and then collapsing. And that leaving an intense shock, giving you an intense shock. This is ignoring all that. Do you understand the gravity of what I'm trying to explain to you? Seriously, are you? Sometimes words fail me. I know, I know all of the words in, the, in, 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 the lang in language cannot get what, get what I'm trying to get across to you, across to you. But I have no other instrument. We need to understand the, the, the gravitas of this. So your reflection, your application is crucial for your progress, ladies and gentlemen. Please don't think that Guru Hamdra is going to save you. He can't save me, and so he won't save you. We shouldn't find saviors in individuals. Otherwise, the Buddha would have done that. You know, if he has the most compassion out of all, then he would have done that. Out of compassion, the only thing he can do is give us the path to our own salvation. Anicca is the path to your own salvation. Dukkha and anatta and, 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 and their comprehension is the path to your own salvation. I've given plenty of examples and explained to you things that are going on around us, things that are going on outside these four walls, things that are going on on the streets, in the shops, in the boutiques, out in the, out on the, uh, you know, out in the open, out in the world out there. I think you are convinced enough, that is why you now have become regulars. 
you know, you realize that the world out there is is no match. This is that 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 doesn't work. That's why you're here, right? So really, I'm not speaking to a bunch of devotees now any longer. I'm speaking to people who have committed themselves to the path of nibbana, and that's great. So now your comparison should not be with them. Okay, that's an important point to get across, to get into your heads. Don't compare yourselves with the people outside. Don't compare with the people you see on the streets. Don't compare yourselves with the people who you see going out, dancing, singing, clubbing, pubbing, and so on. You know, you, if you compare yourselves with them, then you'll always feel like you are far better than any of them. And then you begin to rest on your laurels. Don't compare yourselves with them. Compare yourselves with the great elders. That's who you should compare yourselves with. I want each and every one of you to have an idol. Someone who you can look up to. Have, a great, have an arahant. Have a role model. You've read their stories. If you haven't, read them. Find out about them. Have a role model. Don't let your role models be the people who you see on the front covers of magazines. Unless it's a CLA magazine. Don't let your role models be the people whose faces you see on, on the internet. On the most popular YouTube channels. They are not the people who you should be comparing yourselves with. Don't let that fool you. It's time you found yourselves a role model, a proper role model. And then compare your actions with that of theirs. If they were here today, would they be impressed by what you do, what you say, and your thoughts? Let's imagine for one of you, you decide, my role model, I want my role model to be Mahamogalan, the great Thera. Imagine you had to have a one-to-one -one with him every day. At the end of every day, you have to go and have a chat with him. Now you have to reveal to him everything you've done throughout the day. And even if you lied, he could probably read your mind. So now, no secrets. Live your life, live those days, each day if you can, from here on. Live each day so that you are impressed, they are impressed. Your purpose of life no longer is to impress Steve Jobs. You can't impress him now, it's too late for that. Elon Musk, right? Or any of these high-flying people out there because don't compare yourselves with them anymore. You're now you're in a different league altogether. Do you accept what I have to tell you? You are in a different league now. Those days, you know, maybe five years ago, six, ten years ago, twenty years ago, you know, you, you looked up to them, you had pictures of them on your wall. Hmm? And you thought to yourself, one day I want to be like them. Today, if they knew, they'd have your picture on their wall. And they'll say, one day I want to be like him. One day I want to be like her.
Like I said the other day, become extraordinary. Don't live an ordinary life. Until, early, I think two weeks ago, the richest man alive was Elon Musk. And apparently someone had now knocked him off top spot and now it's somebody else. That's why you'd always have to come with the richest man alive. Every day there's always a challenge. Every day there's always a battle to get to top spot. But once you become the happiest man alive, that space cannot be taken from you. Once you're the happiest man alive, you are always the happiest man alive. There can be others who are also happiest men. Just because someone else becomes happiest doesn't mean yours is taken away from you. You don't lose it. This is the only thing that is worth gaining. So please don't consider yourself to be in the same league as the richest man alive, the man with the biggest house, the man with the longest car, the man with the biggest, no, slimmest wife. Don't compare yourself with them. Right? Don't aspire to become the most beautiful person in the world. Don't. Now, honestly, like, you know, can I speak to you so freely? Yeah? Don't. If you are devotees, I'd say, do try not to. But to you, I'll tell you, don't. Don't belittle yourself so much. Don't undermine yourselves. That is not the purpose of your life. The purpose of your existence is to understand existence. You're on a different journey now. You've taken a very different path. You're aspiring to a greatness that is beyond anything that money can buy. It is not a superficial adornment. So don't aspire to become the you know, Miss Universe. What's the point? <laughs> and do they consult everyone else in the universe before they do that? That's the thing, the reason, you know, when they go Miss Universe, you can't go bigger than that, right? So that's, that's the spot to aim for. You start with Aurdu Kumari, and then Miss Sri Lanka, Miss Asia, Miss World. Then, why did, you know, you've got to wonder, why didn't they go Miss Solar System? They went for Miss Universe because then there's nothing beyond that. Don't aspire to that. You know, children in the room, I ask you, you know, don't aspire to become the richest man in the world. What's the point? Oh, honestly, what's the point? Are they happier for having become rich? You know, why, don't, why, do, why, doesn't on the, why do they not on the Forbes magazine have a list of the, rich, the happiest men alive? Why don't they do that? They have the richest men alive. They might have the most influential person. That list, you'll find that. You'll have the tallest man alive. They'll have the man at the biggest mansion. The man at the most expensive car. The man wearing the most expensive watch, and so on. These are not the goals to set for a human life. For a human life, these are not the goals to set. Have your goal to be the happiest man alive. That's it. And there's only one thing that can do it for you. The Dhamma is the only thing. If what I'm saying is true, ladies and gentlemen, 
I don't want to live another day. If what I'm saying is, is, is false, I don't want to live another day. What's the point? I mean, you know, if, if our human lives could not be invested in finding a higher truth, right, in finding a happiness, then what is the point of living? Honestly, tell me. If, if Nibbana didn't exist, yeah? If Nibbana didn't exist, tell me what is the point of living? Is this the point of living? You just eat, you, 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 you sleep, you reproduce, and you just keep going on. I mean, what's the point? You study, you, you, you do some work, you earn, you earn, some, you know, you earn a living, you, you, make some, you build some property or you buy some, you buy some vehicles, have a family, you know, uh, rear children. What's the point? Have the mundane lives that you live brought you any closer to happiness? You know they haven't. So what's the point? If Nibbana didn't exist, honestly, I, did, I don't want to live another day. But there's no, there wouldn't be a point in me going and hanging myself because that wouldn't solve the problem. Then I'd really have an issue with God, honestly. But today I don't have a bone to pick with God because Nibbana exists. So therefore there's a purpose to my existence. If there wasn't, I wouldn't be a happy bunny at all. It would be very, very, very frustrating. Then just imagine, right? <laughs> Today, you understand that Nibbana is a possibility. Yeah? Everyone? You all understand that Nibbana is a possibility. A while back, we studied how pleasure is merely the relief from vexation. Just imagine discovering that, but there being no Nibbana. Just imagine this situation. Pleasure the, can only be achieved from relief from vexation. Right? But vexation is still there. There's no point in relieving yourself from vexation and you can't bring an end to vexation either. Just picture yourself in that situation. What would you want to do? Nothing, right? And there's no point in going and killing yourself either because that also is meaningless. Now what do you do? Now tell me, if there was no Nibbana, what is the purpose of your existence? I rest my case. If there was no Nibbana, you understand that pleasure is only achieved from relief from vexation. All with me? Pleasure can only be achieved through relief from vexation. So there is not really a substantial pleasure. It's merely what the mind feels when it goes from a state of higher vexation to one to a state of lower vexation. And even when you have things, you, are, you still live in fear. When you don't have things, you live in sorrow. Fear and sorrow are the two parts of life and there is nothing outside of this. That sums up existence. Yeah, Whether you have it or not, you're doomed. That sums up life. Now, there must be a way to get out of this trap. Just imagine if there wasn't. Just imagine if there was no Nibbana. What would be the purpose of your existence? Why would you exist? 
and then you can't kill yourself because there's no point in doing that either. Hmm? This doesn't stop it. No? Don't you feel like you're really trapped? That is destitution. So I ask you this question once again. What is the purpose of your existence? If Nibbana is not the purpose of your existence, then what is? Can there be another purpose to any existence? Whether you have understood the Dhamma or not. You understand the Dhamma, but Siripala, he hasn't understood the Dhamma yet. What is the purpose of his existence, I ask you? I mean, he lives a good life. He's not a bad guy. He lives, he lives a good life. Right? He, he feeds his family. He works. He does an honest day's work. He earns his living. He right? doesn't steal doesn't kill, doesn't lie, doesn't do any of those bad things, but he, he lives an average life. But whenever he vexes, all he knows is to relieve himself from vexation. So when he wants something, he'll go to the shops and buy it. When he wants to eat something, if he can't find it, he'll ask his wife to make it for him. Hmm? When he wants to go see things, he'll take his family and go on a trip and look at and watch things and see things and experience and enjoy nature. That's what he does. What is the purpose of that existence? Vex, relief from vexation. Vex again, relief from vexation. Vex again, relief from vexation. That's all he does. And there is no way out of this. I mean, that to me sounds like a nightmare. Does it not to you, I ask you? Imagine the Buddha taught us everything about vexation, pleasure, relief and all that, but he didn't teach us about Nibbana. Just imagine... You know, the, now the Dhamma has passed down from generation to generation, right? Right. Let's say, let's just imagine when the Soli, you know, they, they took over, right? And they, they, they invaded our lands, right? And the parts that of the Tripitaka which talk about Nibbana, that was lost. They were destroyed. Now, you have pleasure and vexation. <laughs> hmm? And you also have the parts that say when you, are, when you die, you are born again. But there is nothing about Nibbana. How would you feel? You'll tell me, well, Swaminanda, that's how we lived our lay lives before we came across the Dhamma. It wasn't so bad. No, 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 no. Back then, you didn't understand that pleasure was merely relief from vexation. Now you do. Now you do. So you understand half the truth, but you have no solution. How do you feel? Whether you know it or not, isn't that the truth? Back then we didn't know this stuff, but it was still the truth. Right? Today we know this stuff, and it is the truth. The truth will always be the truth. So once again I ask you the question, what is the purpose of existence? At least for the people in this room, what is the purpose of your existence? Is it not Nibbana? Can there be any other purpose, greater or small? Can there be another purpose? There cannot be another purpose. Now you see who the Buddha was? The only purpose to existence he discovered and it teaches us the only purpose. 
If no Nibbana, there's no point living, but there's you, no point dying either. You're really trapped. You're really trapped. So this is why I want to urge you and encourage you to do Nibbana as much as you possibly can. Apply yourselves diligently, ladies and gentlemen. Be heedless in your practice. Don't let the seconds pass you by because the seconds will surely turn into minutes. And it won't stop there either. That's the problem. The minutes will turn into hours. And then hours into days. Seven days will go and you'll call it a week. You know, when you think about it, just a week. A week seems sizable. But seven days? I mean, there are seven days in a week. Did you know that? You say one week, two weeks, three weeks. You say three weeks, that's 21 long days. Now you say a month has passed by. How many days has passed by? 31 days have passed us by. 31 days. How many hours do you think that is? How many opportunities to practice Nibbana was that? That passed you by. And they will certainly turn into years and years into lifetimes. Ultimately that is your count, lifetimes. Because it is only in this lifetime you get this chance. So please, on your behalf, I appeal to you on your behalf. Be diligent with your practice. Don't let these precious moments pass by. You've, Guru Andhra has given us all the Dhamma we need. Now what remains is your application. And there is no substitute for that. There is no substitute for that. What you have to do, you've got to do. So in those moments where you feel vexation, where you feel pleasure, don't let those moments pass you by. And it matters not how old you are, how young you are. These young children here, they vex just as much as their mother. If they don't apply the dumb. Same, same thing goes, because it's all a chitta. A chitta is a chitta, is a chitta, is a chitta. Every day, day in, day out, a chitta is a chitta. If it vexes, it vexes. Today they have their parents to look after them. By looking after what you want, they give. But one day, you're going to have to go and find for yourselves. Those who don't have your parents with you, and you understand what I'm talking about. Now, there was a time that came in your life where they were there initially to give you everything you wanted to provide for you, and then when they were gone, you had to go and still get it, because they didn't give you one thing. You know what that thing was? How to not want things. That they couldn't give you. All they gave you was what you wanted. And then now when they're gone, now you are left to go and find what you want. And you can continue doing that until your faculties are working, your body is functional, your arms and legs are working, your eyes and ears are working, your mouth is working, you can speak, you can think straight, you can keep your body upright and walk around and get what you want, you can drive around, uh, you can do these things, walk around, you can do these things until that is possible. And then, one by one, these faculties begin to give up on you.
those days walking a, a couple of kilometers was what a walk in the park for you. But now, I'm sure there'll be people in this room, 500 yards, and you're you'll need to be put on a bed to rest for like a week. See, that day is coming. Your limbs are going to give up on you. Your back is going to give up on you. Your legs are going to give up on you. Your knees are going to give up on you. What do I mean by giving up on you? Giving up on your opportunity to practice Nibbana. You know, you only have this for a very short period of time. Even right now, they're not helping you. They're not supporting you. You've got to somehow get them, get their support. Right? They're not here to help you. Because they're all worldly. These are all worldly objects. Your, your, your stomach always says, hungry, 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 feed me. How, how does that help Nibbana? How does it help in Nibbana? It doesn't help in Nibbana. Your back says, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. Bam, 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 please. <laughs> how does that help you with Nibbana? It doesn't help you with Nibbana. Your head goes aching, 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 aching. It doesn't help with Nibbana. There's not a single cell in your body that helps you with Nibbana. Only the Dhamma can help you with Nibbana. So, while these are aching and ailing, you have to still make use of them to get your job done. The eyes were given to you to see fixed objects because that is what you thought existed, so therefore you ordered a pair of eyes and now you got it so you can see fixed objects. They're not fixed, but you perceive them as. Nothing about you is actually here to help you. It seems like the all... All the odds are against you. All of the odds are against you. So therefore, if you don't stand upright, if you don't stand up straight, if you don't listen to your Kalyanamitas and take the Dhamma as your only refuge, there's no hope. All you have to do is this. Seems like I'm painting a very gloomy picture. Not so. I'm telling you, it is possible, but you have to do something diligently. And that is, when those moments present themselves to you, ladies and gentlemen, don't give up. Put the Dhamma. Don't refute to anything else. Don't seek solace in anything else, because those are moments that will pass you by, and those moments may never come back to you again. Every challenge is an opportunity. Accept it, use it, and apply the Dhamma. You know, at the end of my life, what good would it be for me to simply say, I've been preaching sermons for so long, no one became an arahant. What would be the point of that? If you want to disappoint me, that's the best way to do that. So in my deathbed I can say, I, preach, I was preaching, I don't know, how many years, Six, 60 years I was preaching. And when they struggle to understand it in Sinhalese, I started preaching in English as well. And then when they failed to do that, I started preaching in Spanish as well. I can, I'll keep on doing that. For 60 long years I was preaching. No one attained Nibbana. That's one sure way to disappoint me. Because it would have been to no avail. There's only one thing you need to do. Apply. That is the reward 
your Margapala will come to you when it comes. Don't worry about that. The fruits of your hard work will present themselves to you when they are ready. But you just keep to keep tending to your practice. At water, when it needs water, give it sunlight, give it the fertilizer. You just get to keep doing that and one day it will bear fruit. So, if you want to impress me, practice. If you want me to feel that this has been worthwhile, practice. That's all you need to do, practice. Even retrospectively practice, if, you don't, if you're not able to practice in, at the moment, If you're not able to practice in the moment, at least practice retrospectively. Revisit past events. And then think to yourself, I shouldn't have done that. Next time, I'm going to do it differently. You know, this is a project, isn't it? We are here for a very specific purpose. Yes, we are friends, but we are not here just to make friends, just to be friends. We are family, yes, but we are here not just to be family. We're not here to scratch each other's backs. We're not just here to make each other laugh. You know, we're here to do something dead serious. The most serious thing we've ever done. That's what we're here for. You are here with purpose, ladies and gentlemen. I accept, I accept that. I'm prepared. I, I embrace you and accept you as someone who has come here with purpose. Be steadfast on that purpose. Don't waver. Don't fault. Don't go AWOL. Don't wither. Don't take sidetracks. Don't get sidelined. You need to keep yourself steady on this path. Now I'm speaking to a room full of people who have dedicated a large part of their life to this practice. I think I'm almost picking up the tone that I'm speaking to uh, Swami Nances and Anagarikas and Anagarikas on a Thursday afternoon. Because I feel I can speak to you in that, in that manner. You know, I need you to be steadfast on this path so that we can get some results. Right? How can we be the carriers of this truth, the messengers to the next generation, if we don't achieve the fruits of this? Hmm? You know, in a hundred years' time, if, when they look back, say 200 years' time, 250 years' time, 300 years' time, when they look back at our monastery, and all there is in the records are how people came together. They cleared a stretch of land which was previously you know, nice and green, <laughs> and they knocked down all the trees, and they put up some concrete walls and built, and built some buildings and so on. And then some people got together. And then they listened to the Dhamma. They didn't practice, but they listened to the Dhamma. They ate. They got together. They, they, they had a nice chat whenever they did. Every Saturday there were sermons. Every Sunday there were sermons. The meditation programs. Various programs. People got together. They made friends. And then people relocated. And they started moving close to the monastery. And then they settled down. You know, at the end of this saga, someone's going to want to find... How many? 
Won't they? They're going to want to find. They'll keep turning the page. Wait, 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 wait. How many, how many, how many, how many? What are they looking for? How many? How many are hands? They'll just keep flicking through the pages. All the things we did. We done. They had Dakine you. Hmm? Every poor day. Oh, nice. They'll have pictures. You'll be there in those pictures. Atapirikara puja. Dolospirikara puja. All will be all, all of that will be there. Noble hearts will be there. Rehabilitation centers will be there. Meditation programs will be there. All of that will be there. Sravaka, Sravika and Vesi programs will be there. But people say, where? Where's the number? They'll turn front to back and back to front. Front to back and back to front. They'll turn the book and hold it upside down. In the, you know, hopefully there's a chit of paper somewhere that has the number. Maybe in the addendum. Someone forgot to print it in the main print, but then attached it later on. No. If they don't have that number, none of this would have been of any use. Any use. None of this would have been of any use. We are not here to try to get to the heavens. That's not what we are here for. The waste product gets to the heavens. The waste. We are not here to get to the heavens because we've been there. We've done that. We know what it's like. Heavens are not, not a big deal for us anymore, are they? Who wants to go to heaven? That number and for that, you've got to do what you have to do. From this audience, we need arahants. Don't look at me. I'm doing my part. As I asked you in the morning, why are you looking at me like that? Now you're asking me, so I'm asking, why are you looking at us like that? I'm asking you, where are those arahants? Are you doing what you have to be doing to get those arahants out of you? They are inside each and every one of you. We need to get them out of you. And for that, you have to be doing your practice. There is no substitute for that. You can come here and, you know, put up a good show, show us your good face, but as you leave this room, right, and those vexations come back, and those frustrations come back, and those desires come back into your mind, if all you do is resort to the, your, your usual habits and behaviors of relieving yourself by indulging and engaging in whatever practices and norms that you have been accustomed to, then we are not going to be seeing any arahants. Every sermon at the end we say, by the power of these merits, may we be blessed to witness many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. What blessed land do you think I'm referring to? Huh? On this blessed land, may we be able to witness many hundreds of thousands of arahantes and arahateranin vahantes. What blessed land do you think I'm referring to?
Come on. Come on. Come on. Are you doing your part? Are you practicing? When you want that jelly, do you fail or do you practice? When you open your eyes and sights flood in, when you open your ears and sounds flood in, when you stick your tongue out and tastes flood in, do you still fail? If so, do something about it. You know, you'll fail initially, but you're not always going to fail if you take action. You'll not always fail. And don't compare yourself to someone else, compare yourself to your previous version. And if you want an if you want a target, then as I said, have yourself a role model. The stories of the Arhans are still with us. You know, the other day I was walking into into this room over there, we had a a class, and as I walked in, one of our Saminasis was reading a Tripitaka book and he left it on the desk. And then there were a few other Tripitak books there on the side. And I was thinking to myself, you know, how fortunate we are that we actually have the Dhamma in print form. And, you know, they can be strewn around on a table so freely, so, so available to us. You know, that is what we have today. When there have been many, many, many eons where the Buddha's Dhamma was not even available to us, we hadn't even heard of a Buddha. Today we have the Tripitaka in print form. We have it in digital form. You can just swipe the suttas. You know how, how, how much work it took to preach that? How much effort it took the Buddha? He had to walk on foot. Because unless he had the right audience, that sutta would not have been uttered. So he had to get himself on foot, sometimes many leagues, To deliver that sermon, today it's, you can just swipe it. You just have to press the next button. And the next one comes up. And if you can't understand the translation, you just have to swipe again, and then it comes up. If you want it in English, it's in English. If you want it in Sinhalese, it's in Sinhalese. If you want it in Chinese, it's in Chinese. If you want it in Japanese, it's in Japanese. We have it all today. So what's lacking then? That piece. That's the part that is lacking the personal part, our investment, that is what's lacking. Where we don't see results, that's what's lacking. Don't fail. You need not. You ought not to. We've got everything we need. The Dhamma in its pristine form. Now, I mean, to this day, what fault have you found in what, the, what Guru Hamza has taught us? He's been preaching for how many years now? Twenty, if not longer. What fault have you found? Give me one. Perfect. So we have the Dhamma. It's there. We have the Sangha. You come here, you associate with the Sangha, right? And we are never happy with the number, so we just keep on taking more. So that whenever you come here, you, you have plenty of choices. And we don't give you choice, but you still have. 
you can't come and ask for that Swami Nase, this Swami Nase. We don't do that here. Because we need the Sangha, not our Swami Nase. Our? Not, <laughs> not that particular Swami Nase. You don't do that. But you have a teacher. You're all fortunate enough to have a personal teacher who's with you, guiding you, holding your hand, answering your questions through the Dhamma. I mean, just think about it. The reason that people are lost is because they have, they have problems, but they don't have the right answers. Today, well, no matter what problem you pose to your teacher, how do they answer it? With or without the Dhamma? With the Dhamma. Don't you get frustrated sometimes? And you ask, give me the answer, not with the Dhamma, give me something else. <laughs> because all they give you is answers with the Dhamma. Because that is the answer. You, there's no point looking for any other answers because you are, it's just a, there's no end of it. Just a rat race. So you need to do your part. All I'm asking you to do is this. When those vexations come to you, practice. When you experience pleasure, practice. Don't feel that you're entitled to pleasure. No, you're not. When you experience pleasure, practice. Remind yourself, this is merely relief from vexation. And don't be, don't be proud about that. Don't be happy about that. Be disappointed about the fact that vexation took you before pleasure did. This is the slap before the pat. The slap comes first. Before you get stroked, you get slapped first. Reflect on that. I mean, I can only keep asking you, you have to do it. And I can't stand behind you watching you whether you're doing what I'm asking you to do. It's every, everyone to themselves. But we need to see some results out of this venture. If this were a business, where's the profit? You know, don't just make coming to the monastery just another part of your life. It has to be the purpose of your life. Not coming to the monastery, but what you do when you get here. I'm asking you to step outside all of the things that are going on with your life right now and ask yourself, what is the purpose of this existence? Not what is the purpose of today. Not what is the purpose of you going to the shop. What is the purpose of existence? Because while you exist, you just have to keep on doing various things. What is the purpose of that grand existence? I'm here. Why? Not here, here. Here. I'm here. Why? If you want, I'll give you a better question. I am. Why? Why? I am. Why? Find the meaning behind that. Through Anichaduka and Anati, you'll find answers. Be mindful of the, about the fact that you, you know, when you realize, when you try to answer this question, I am. Why? Why are you? Don't ask me, why are you what? Swamina said, no, why are you? Why are you? Why are you what? You. Why are you you? 
Why are you? You. Why did this happen? Not to you. Why did this happen? This. Can you see what I'm pointing at? Yeah? This. Why did this happen? What are the answers? You exist, right? Why? Find answers. Don't be impressed with yourself because the answer is in ignorance. Don't be impressed with yourself. You are here because of ignorance. You are here because of ignorance and attachment. Don't be impressed with yourself. These are the wrong reasons to be anywhere, not let alone here. You thought yourself that existence was good. Existence was good is what you thought. That is pleasant. That is desirable. And so you came along, looking for, looking for it, looking for pleasantness. When you thought that existence was pleasant, you came looking for pleasantness. Opened your eyes and welcomed in sights. Sights are coming in, you're looking for pleasantness. Sounds are coming in, you're looking for pleasantness. Smells, taste and touch is coming in, you're looking for pleasantness. It keeps coming but it's, the, the pleasantness that you're expecting is not coming in. But by this point, you want it. You're attached to it. Mentally you're attached to it. It doesn't have to exist for you to be attached to it. You know that, right? To be attached to something, it doesn't have to exist. Can't you be attached to your dead grandmother? She doesn't exist anymore, even in that sense, but you're still attached. To, to be attached to something, it doesn't exist. It just needs to exist in your world. It doesn't need to exist in the real world. In fact, you're never attached to something that exists in the real world. True or false? You're never attached to anything that exists in the real world because if you understood what's in the real world, you wouldn't be attached to it. You're only attached to things that exist in your mental world. I show you a pen, you create a pen in your mind and then you attach to it. This only becomes, this is only the substrate. This is just a substrate. I present it to you and a pen is created in your mind and now you're attached to that. And then with that attachment comes vexation. You know, we're going over old stuff. Like I said, the Dhamma has already been delivered to you. Are you applying it? So then you vex. And when you're vexed, now you're looking for that, that pleasure. You're looking for pleasantness. Sight, sound, smell, taste and touch are coming your way, but not pleasantness. Now you're vexed. So a vexed mind needs nothing more than the object that it's vexing for. And when, something, when a mind is vexing for something, you either have to give it the object of vexation or give it something it thinks is the object of vexation. In, this, in any, either of these two ways, you can, be, you can be made happy. Yeah, if you want this pen, I either have to give you this pen or I have to give you something else and make you think that it's the pen that I've given you. Right? Both works. 
That's why when we were younger, we used to play with toys. You know, when a man wants a woman, are there women to give a man? A man wants a woman. Hmm? He comes of age, he's now what, 25? He says, mother, find me a woman, please. He's asking his mother for things that don't exist in this world. Just imagine his mother was an arahant, teraninvahantse. Hmm? Goes up to the mother, mother, I want a woman now. I've come of that age where I, I want a woman in my life. What is, how is the arahant of going to find a woman for this, this, this boy now? Are there such things? No, now he just, she just needs to give him, give him something that he is convinced is a woman. Because there are no women in this world. What are they then? Minds and bodies. And they themselves are also manifestations of energy. So all there is is energy in various forms. That's it. But the boy thinks that's a woman. So then he asks the question, can I keep her forever? Can I keep her for myself? Can I keep her forever? Can I, can I separate her for myself? Uh, how do I make sure that nobody else claims her? How, how do I keep her mine and mine alone? So then people had this problem. How do we do that? So then they got together. And then they came up with this institution called marriage. Where does marriage exist? In the constitution. That's where it exists. It exists in the mind of ignorant people. That's where marriage exists. Where does marriage exist? In the minds of ignorant people. Are you married? Ladies, gentlemen, are you married? Okay, just asking. Then again I'll ask you the question, where does marriage exist? In the minds of? You tell me. Who? Ignorant people. If I'm wrong, then please correct me, okay? I'm always ready to be corrected. I'm always a student. Always ready, ever ready to be corrected. So minds, uh, not minds, marriage exists in the mind of ignorant people. So when someone wants to be married, we just need to give them some matter, some, some rice reconfigured, a bunch of boiled carrots reconfigured, some potatoes reconfigured, some broccoli reconfigured, and some fish, chicken and stuff reconfigured. Have you heard of uh, reconstructed, what's it called, sugars or proteins or something? Anyone? You can reconstruct... Uh, there are foods you can actually reconstruct, can't there? Yes. Madam? Deserts. Deserts, yeah. Uh, and actually in the, in the laboratories, you know, processed, yeah. So processed food, uh, they, you can actually change the molecular structures and so on and then come up with like all sorts of weird and wonderful things. So when someone wants a woman, you just need to take some food, in other words, energy again, light from the sun, energy from the sun, right, and some soil from the earth, right, take things that Mother Nature has, reconstruct it, put it into a package, and then give it the ability to think. That's all that's required, give it the ability to think, to perceive. Otherwise, without that, no good. Then there's a doll, 
But if you give it the ability to think, now the man is ready to accept that. But you've got to ask the man, how do you want the nose? And then you've got to adjust it accordingly. I have a feeling, you know, in a few years' time, right, people will be able to pre-order wives. Right? Can I have a wife that has a long nose, pointy eyes, right, uh, curly hair, very fair, eyes are blue, <laughs> lovely too. So that they're going to be able to order, pre-order, right? Like prefabricated concrete you have these days. Right? So they're going to have prefabricated. You can order them. And, and once you realize that this is what men are, men are looking for, you know, mothers, fathers, when they want to get together and have a child, right? they can go to the, the laboratories and then they can you know, get the DNA engineered so that the child is of, is of that shape and size and form. So then their, their child is more, has more demand, more customers. It's a consumer world. I mean, you know, one of the problems that parents have is, you know, when a child is born, especially if it's a daughter, if she's ugly, there is no such thing called ugly in my book, conventionally, okay? So don't anyone be offended. If she's ugly, then parents have, it's a tough time. Just imagine a child is born and her nose is crooked. Now, the problem that parents are going to have is, either we're going to have to fix this, or when she comes of age, how are you going to give her off in, in marriage to someone? No boy is going to want her. This is a fear that parents have. So, you know, what does science do? Whenever the mind has fears, the science, science intervenes and it finds ways in which to relieve the minds, relieve minds of fear, like insurance plans. So, in laboratories one day, they'll be able to engineer perfect babies. I don't know if they've already started doing this. They have? Oh, they have. Right. I'm behind the curve. They'll start engineering babies. No, they ha they'll start, they, they have have begun to engineer them. I mean, you know, I know it is used to prevent various hereditary ailments, uh, diseases, and so on. Right? You can do that. Gene, there must be a word for it. Gene editing? Gene therapy? Okay. So gene therapy, editing the genome, whatever. Right? But in the future, it will be done for cosmetic reasons. Today, it may be done for medical reasons. Very soon it will be done for cosmetic reasons, so that mothers and fathers can have perfect babies. Can it oh yeah. Because what, you know, that's why we are humans, aren't we? We can, we can create an environment for the, for, for the right vipaka to be drawn. Sometimes some of these experiments will go horribly wrong, but it won't work all the time. But what science has helped us do you know, now, see, haven't we done things to, to be hungry? Haven't we, got, haven't we generated enough karma in our sansara to be hungry for days on end? We have. But why are we not? Because we are able to, as human beings, use our intelligence to create the environment so that we keep drawing on the merits we've done. That's what humans in the Sugati world, we are able to do so. Animals are not. They, because they can't think, they can't compute, they can't analyze, they can't, they can't make sense of the world in the way that we do. Why are we here practicing the Dhamma? 
because we know we've done sins that we will have to suffer when we go to go to the hells perhaps but we are here drawing on our our merits trying to understand the dhamma so that like i said the stone that you threw up in the air it doesn't have to fall on your head because you can step forward or back or to the side so that when it comes crashing down it doesn't fall on your head we can do that as human beings that is what the purpose of being human is not becoming the richest man in the world escaping that our own destinies that we've created escaping the traps that we've built for ourselves that is the purpose of having been born human but that is not what people invest their human lives for what they invest their human lives for is to earn more and in the process of earning more taking what belongs to others hurting others destroying other people's lives destroying the planet while you're at it taking what doesn't belong to you taking lives stealing other people's happiness and so therefore they create karma again that will only spend spell their own misery but once the chitta is ignorant this is the thing once it's ignorant once it's attached <coughs> you know how many videos are on youtube these days that it's always been there it's not a new thing i'm sure it's not even when i was a lay person they used to have things like that the affirmations constantly reminding people i want to be rich i want to be famous i will be rich in fact i am rich these are the affirmations that get put into minds you can't follow them because they have no alternative you know when a mind vexes what does a mind want to do relieve itself from vexation but you know what these affirmations do is they show you a lifestyle of of richness and opulence right and affluence and having everything you want and then they they keep feeding these things you know the very <laughs> the answer has become the problem don't you see it just imagine you know sitting a young boy young 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 person down in front of a, a screen a tv screen and showing them what the lifestyle is the lifestyle of the rich and famous this is what you could have is what is being shown on tv now as the as the person listens to this and watches this right and as those things are dressed up in lovely fairy words now it's being fed into this person right this is the life you have to aspire to this is who you should be rich famous right popular and then these things are fed into the mind and then they are asked to make affirmations i am rich i want to be rich i will be famous i'll be popular and now what happens is well to get them you have to now go work hard well what if those affirmations were not been put into these heads in the first place that's what i'm saying the solution has become the problem it will always be as long as the solution provided the solution is not the dhamma it is always a problem whenever the solution is not the dhamma you're actually feeding another problem so there's another problem i i 
I don't know. I don't know. How do you how do you fix this world? It's just beyond me now. I don't know how to fix this world anymore. People's people's minds are being screwed up every day. All sorts of distorted views about the world are being fed into these minds. You know, young minds they're just becoming more and more feeble by the day. You can't even tolerate a breakup. Committing suicide. You know, at the end of this year, when once this year passes by, let's look at the stats and figure and, and ask ourselves just you know, just check last year. I think I asked you to do that. Just last year how many people committed suicide? Because they, because of breakups. This number will only keep getting higher and higher and higher. Because there's no dumb and all people know is if you are vexed, go find solutions, go find relief. And the solution becomes the problem. You understand this, right? Unless you lose the Dhamma to, to, to resolve a problem, any, any, solution that is other, any solution other than the Dhamma is a problem. When you want ice cream, if you eat, keep on eating ice cream, what happens to you? You start putting on. And then you end up getting heart attacks and diabetes and blood pressure and so on. See, the solution is a problem. But is the Dhamma ever a problem? No. This is the only medicine that has no side effects. All the other medicines, they have side effects. So then you have to keep treating the side effects. The Dhamma is the only medicine that has no side effects. But what a pity. Very few people ever come across it. Just because they don't have the merits for it. So you have... It's okay if people who don't have it, don't do it. But when people who have it, don't do it, that's a pity. I'm not again saying that you're not doing it. What I'm saying is, you're not doing enough. You need to do more. Do lots more. Do much more. Do as much as you can. Don't, you know, don't let yourself, don't give yourself any slack. Just a short while, isn't it? If you're, if you're already past 50, how many more years do you have while you can do this? Right? You know, if, favor, if, if luck would have it in your, your way, right, maybe you'll give, you can have another 20 years if you're 50 now. By the time you're 70, you probably won't able to be able to sit up straight, let alone stay awake. Right? Half the day you'll be asleep. Because we go back to our childhood, don't we? Towards the latter part of our lives. Twenty years is no time at all. Because in those twenty years, it's not the whole twenty years you are practicing Dhamma, are you? Of those twenty years, you know, every day, six to seven to eight hours, you're asleep anyway. That's one third of the day. So of the twenty years you have left, one third of it you're asleep. Just think about it. Then you have to set time aside to address this. You had to wash yourself, you had to feed yourself, you had to take yourself to the, to the toilet, you had to take yourself to the doctor, you had to drive around, you had to you know, make a living for yourself. All of these things are going to take up your time. So if you have another 20 years left, all put together, maybe you have another 3 years left to actually practice the Dhamma. All of the other time, 
you'll have to be fulfilling responsibilities, doing your duties, feeding yourself, sleeping yourself, and all these things. Maybe three years you might have left, if you're not careful. So time is of the essence here. Yes, time is only a creation of your own mind, but your merits are not. That's for real. And when I say time's running out, what I really mean is, merits are running out. So especially, adults in the audience, this is me assuming that we are all heading for a natural death. Adults in the audience, mothers in the audience, right? You gave up your, 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 all of the energy that you have had in your bodies producing children. Bringing a child into this world, you know, you sacrifice maybe a tenth of your life, maybe a twentieth of your life. One-fifth of your life you gave up. If you hadn't had children, perhaps you'd have lived a little bit longer. But that is what mothers do, they sacrifice. The word mother is synonymous with sacrifice. If you've been fathers, right, you've, you've worked yourself right, from head to toe, you worked yourself to the bone. Those years have taken a real toil on you. Because you, didn't, you couldn't just work to find yourself something to eat, you had to do it for your family. You had to build a house not just for yourself, you had to do it for your family. So under a tree was not good enough, Shel you know, just some shelter, so that you ha you're not wet when it rains was not enough. You had to build yourself a mansion. It needed three bedrooms and three washrooms, and it needed a car park to park three cars. It needed a kitchen to cook for eight people, right? Then it also needed a, a visitor's room and a, and a washroom with that. You had to do all that, and you had to build a, build a wall around your, around your house to keep everyone safe. All of that took a toil on you, because you weren't born for this. You weren't born to build houses. <laughs> no? You think you were born to build a house? You weren't born to build houses. You weren't born to go buy cars and you know get loans and buy cars and whatnot. That's not what you were born for. You were born to find the purpose of existence. As human beings, you were born to find the purpose of existence. As a human being, you weren't born to become a mother. Mothers, please don't... You know, Take this the wrong way. You weren't born to be a mother. You were born a chitta. That chitta thought you were female. And then someone fed into your mind that you have to become a mother. I mean, if, if you were born to be a, become a mother, then all these anagarika means they're all failures. All our Swami nuances are failures. Chittas weren't born to become mothers or fathers. But you did, nonetheless. Then you tell me, well, don't, Swaminath, you're here because of your mother. <laughs> yes, agreed. But my mother didn't come into this world to produce me. She came into this world for the same purpose I came into this world, and that is to find the purpose of existence. But no one was there to show her the path. She didn't meet the Buddha. What to do? She didn't meet the Dhamma, she didn't meet the Sangha. What to do? Hmm? Why have you given up your young children to the sasana? To become mothers and fathers? No, to find the purpose of existence. 
That is why we were born human. But by now, you've already expended 50% of your life. 60%, 75%, maybe 80% of your life. You have a mere 20% left. I ask you, how are you going to spend that 20? Be very careful. Very careful. Because this is your life you're talking about. Your life without the Buddha Sasana means nothing. The Buddha Sasana without your life also means nothing. It's when these two things come together, miracles happen. Today you have both of them. So let the miracle happen. Many years of your lives have been spent meaninglessly. And you have lived to tell the tale. But may the remainder of your years be spent meaningfully. May the remainder of your years be lived, be spent, aspiring to a greater truth, helping you elevate yourself to greatness so that you discover the purpose of your existence. I care so deeply about that, I want you to care the same about yourselves. I care so deeply about that because, ladies and gentlemen, I don't see this as my Nibbana and your Nibbana. Honestly, it's not either of us. Nibbana is Nibbana. That's why I said, once an Arahant becomes an Arahant, he realizes he hasn't even started. Because it is not he who has become an Arahant. Arahantness has happened, but there are lots more Arahants to be born. So he realizes just a drop in the vast ocean. So that epiphany of joy, you know, that pian of joy is just very short-lived. He realizes, that's it. Only I became an arhant, that's it. I thought the whole world was going to become an arhant. I mean, you're all human beings, aren't you? Don't look at me like that. I want, you, I want to come and write a new script for all of you. I want to take you back to your younger years and change everything. But, so don't look at me like that. But I'm not here to get you to regret about your past. There's no point in doing that. We learn lessons from the past. That is all what the past is, teaches to us. But how you live your life from here on, do it wisely. See the Shravikas, Vesis, Shravikas. Be mindful about how you spend the rest of your years. Remember, you were not born to be mothers. That's not why you came into this world, not to become a mother. But you became one nonetheless. Because that was the influence you had from the world around you. You became a father because that was the influence you received from the world around you. Today you are a grandfather, and now you don't suffer just because, not only for your children, but also for your grandchildren. And if you are not able to guide them, then your great-grandchildren. There's no end to suffering, unless you do something about it. Don't do the run-of-the-mill stuff. People out there who claim to be enjoying themselves are all lying. They're big, fat liars. 
anyone who claims to be enjoying themselves without the Dhamma is a liar. If you dig into their lives, you will find the, the distress they're under, the stresses and the strains they're under. When they step outside, they'll wear a mask. They'll put on a mask and they'll tell you that I'm happy. They'll tell you they're happy. They're not. That's just a disguise. Don't fall for that. Don't believe everything you see on TV. It's rubbish. All nonsense. Don't believe every YouTube recommendation that you get and you click on. They'll talk about the lifestyle. You know, these are all the programs that, are, that have been curated for public consumption. They just want people clicking on them, viewing them and liking them and subscribing them so that people get money out of it. They're not as glamorous as they claim to be. Everyone has a, has a hidden story. They may be driven around in Bentleys, but their wives are disloyal to them. So have sympathy towards them. We love everyone the same. But these are the, the pitfalls that people generally fall into. They think, you know, oh, how I wish I can have a life like that. Don't fall for that. People will tell you life is only like this here, but come to Australia, come to the UK, come to Canada, come to the USA, hmm? go to the Arab Emirates, go to Dubai and life will be wonderful. Trust me. <laughs> it's not. That's just marketing. The truth is, where there is the Dhamma, you're happy. Where there is no Dhamma, you cannot be. It's not improbable, it's impossible. So I urge you once again, one last time. You have already spent about 80% of your life, maybe 85, 90% of your life, 10% remains. Maybe if you are meant to live for 80, the last 8 years remain. And in those eight years, you're going to still have to spend time doing various other things. Duties, responsibilities, and all that will have to happen in that time. This is assuming a natural death. But we don't know who's first in line. Maybe it's me on the way back up to the Kuti. We don't know that. Maybe it's this young Du here. Who knows? So she has to prepare herself, her brother has to prepare herself, and her mother has to prepare herself. All three has to be, have to prepare themselves. Who knows? Because when Mara comes knocking, they don't take our permission. They don't need our permission. So be heedful. Be diligent. You have the Dhamma, we have the Buddha, we have the Mahasanga. We have plenty of opportunities to earn ourselves enough merits and more. But what matters at the end of the day is the number. That number is what's going to be important. How many arahants are we going to produce from this community? Are we just going to be known for a monastery who did a lot, much ado about nothing? Is that what we're going to be known for? We did a lot, nothing came out of it. I don't believe that that's where we're heading. I have faith. And that if we didn't, we wouldn't be doing all these things. And I can see, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed by all the good work that our monks and anagarikas, anagarikas, shravikas, shravikas, vaisis, and so on, our devotees, and the dedication that they have to us. And I'm impressed. That's what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting that you're not doing it. But what I'm saying is, you're not doing enough. None of you are doing enough. Do more.
do more so that we can produce that first arahatan nuhansay. May that be you. It doesn't have to be me. Because Nibbana is Nibbana. It's not your Nibbana or my Nibbana. Let's produce that first Rahatan Mahanse. That will be a wonderful inspiration for all of us. Then there will be no doubts in any minds. Is it possible? So for that, I want all of you to aspire to that. Make that happen. On this land, maybe witness. Very soon, in our lives. Don't, don't all of you want to see Rahatan Mahanse before you die? Not all of you. Be that you or someone else. Don't you wish to see a Rahatan Mahanse through your naked eyes before you die? Well, let's make it happen then. How do we make it happen? Contemplate. Practice. Practice, practice, practice. Don't let any opportunity pass you by. Practice. You might wonder, well, my practice is how is that going to help someone else? Well, your practice will, will help someone else in this way. If you are a student, practice so that you have questions for your teacher. And now the teacher has to find an answer to your problem because you are practicing. They are not silly questions. They are important, very meaningful questions. Now the teacher practices. As the teacher practices, the teacher realizes, ah, got it, understood. He has become a Rahatan Nuhanse because you asked a question. See? If you don't practice, you go on a silly, silly questions. That's why, you know, this community is a very strong community. Right? All of you here. You are a very strong community. You need to do something that those outside these walls cannot do. You can. You have the power to do that. You have already committed yourself to a great extent. I'm saying, do your fullest. Don't that just be a piece of cloth on your shoulder? It's not just a piece of cloth. Let it stand for something. Let it be meaningful. You're all doing not doing enough. Do more. You know you're not doing enough. I don't need to tell you that. Right. Let's conclude for today. Let us all take a moment then to transfer the merits we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, listening to the Dhamma, inviting the Swami to deliver the, the Dhamma sermon, and creating a conducive environment for all to come along and practice the path and strive to Nibbana. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude towards the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, let us take a moment to transfer these merits to all of them. For they have passed on the Dhamma from generation to generation in the form of the noble lineage and in the form of the Sripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters. <clears throat> to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us also transfer these merits to all monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer this message to my teacher, Guru Swami Nuhansi, as well as all the monks resident at the monastery and the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer this message to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these talks, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them. Let us also transfer this message to our friends of the monastery, our devotees, 
who, for the sake of merits to help them attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana, continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes, and medicines, as well as their know-how, and continue to extend their well-wishes. May they all rejoice in these merits and by the power of these merits. May they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer this message to our mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our friends, our acquaintances, our employers, our employees and our teachers, as well as our friends who've gone the extra mile and anyone and everyone in every shape, form or power that they had in their possession did everything they could to help support us as sisters and provide us with assistance in any way, shape, or form possible. May they all rejoice in these merits. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who have committed themselves towards the betterment of, towards protection and preserving the Sambuddhasasana. Let us also transfer these maids to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. May they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these maids to those who have passed away in our name, our loved ones, our ancestors, our forefathers, reminding ourselves that it is in their blood, sweat, and tears today we are able to enjoy the fruits of their hard labor and enjoy the comforts in which we are able to practice the path in peace and harmony. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to, to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who sacrifice their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation, as well as friends and foe who lost their lives in, in the wars. Let us also transfer these merits to those who lost their lives in natural disasters and calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, fires, floods pandemics and so on, reminding ourselves that in this infinitely long journey of sansara, they will all have been mothers and fathers to us, brothers and sisters to us, friends and acquaintances to us, who will have gone every length and distance possible to help us, support us and assist us in any way, shape or form. And therefore, with infinite compassion towards all of them, let us transfer all the merits that we have all acquired to all of them. May they all rejoice in these merits. And if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they re redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May, by the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, may by the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahatun Nuances on this blessed land. And finally, may you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become a Rahatan Nuhanse or an Arahatirunin Nuhanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Buddha himself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the noble triple gem be with you all. The members of the Mahasangha will transfer their blessings to you. Nibbana Parma Sukhayan 
सुखित तर ममद सियलुलोक सियलु सत्मयो निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तर निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तर निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तर राग गिनी द्वेश गिनी मोह गिनी निवन सप निवन सप निवन सप तुनुरान गे सुविशी अनंत महा गुण बलेन सीलो लोक सीलो सत्यो में निबान परम सुखेन सुखित दर वित्वा साधु साधु साधु